Welcome to the Tuesday Theology edition of the Scottsdale Podcast. At Scottsdale, one of our core values is studying God's Word. So through this theology class, our goal is to equip our people with the right knowledge of God. Enjoy, and we hope that you grow in your knowledge of God and application of His Word. We're going to talk about a subject that is an inevitable reality, unless the Lord Jesus comes, and that is death. So um, that's chapter 25. So before we begin, I want to tell you a story about a man who died. And as he died, he went on up to heaven. And I don't know why they always have this in stories, but before he went, St. Peter met him at the gate, right? That's what we always hear. Well, this guy goes up and St. Peter looks at him and he says, "Um, yeah, I see that you've made it here. He said, can you tell me something that you have done to really help somebody's life in your lifetime? And the man looked at St. Peter and said, yeah, yeah. He said, one time I stopped at this um, gas station and there were a group of Hell's Angels bikers and they had all their motorcycles out in the front and they were harassing this young girl. I mean, they would not let her go. They were getting around her in a circle and they were really messing with her. So I went over there to them and I went up to the biggest Hell's Angel biker, and I punched him in the face and knocked him down. And then I went over there and I kicked their motorcycles and all their Harleys fell on the ground. And he said, then the young girl ran away to safety. Peter said, that's amazing. He said, when did that happen? He said, about five minutes ago. (laughs) So there's a fine line between faith and foolishness, okay? So that didn't serve him so well. And, um, and, and I promise you tonight, I'm not going to make a joke about any spouse's hair, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Will Smith, um, yeah, giving somebody a slap. Okay, so I won't be doing that. Let's begin with prayer, and we're going to jump right in as we talk about death. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you as we look at your word, Father. It is always an encouragement to us. Father, even when we talk about the topic of death, and Father, mostly when we talk about the topic of death, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we know that He has overcome the grave. And because of that, Father, we know that in Christ we will overcome the grave. We thank You for the eternal security that we have in Jesus. And Father, tonight as we look at Your Word, we ask that You would illuminate our hearts and our minds Father, you would enable us to uh, think deeper and differently when it comes to the issue of death. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, most of us probably, when we went through this chapter, you probably didn't have a lot of questions. You may have had some questions that are going to come up as we talk about the issue of death and we talk about the issue of the intermediate state that happens after we die, and then, of course, that which is about glorification. So what we're going to do tonight is kind of just take the outline the way he has. We're going to walk through it. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions as we walk through this to get us to think about some of these topics. Um, And he breaks it down into just some specific areas. So he begins by asking the question, why do Christians die? I thought that was kind of an interesting tie, uh, heading. Why do Christians die? Um, because we understand that 
all individuals, all human beings will die. Unless the Lord Jesus comes back, we're all going to die. Somebody said that the mortality rate for humanity is 100%. And it is. Um, and it's, it's always going to be that. So he breaks this down into several different statements. And the first one he says is this. Death is not a punishment for Christians. Now, when he says death is not a punishment for Christians, what is he referring to in that statement? As you've read it and as you've looked over it, what is he referring to when he says death is not a punishment for Christians? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so if you're going to do something bad, God is not going to strike you down. Okay, um, that is mostly true. And here's why. Emery, once you share with me, with them, what you shared with me in Acts chapter 5. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when uh, Gruden made the statement, uh, the understanding that death is not in any way a punishment for sin, but simply something God brings uh, us through in order to make us more like Christ should be a great encouragement to us. But in Acts chapter 5, where uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira, his wife, they sold their possessions, and they came some back, gave some, kept some back, lying to the Holy Spirit. And they were both, they died immediately because they had lied to the Holy Spirit. So when I read this statement, I knew this was years, and my question was, you know, it looks to me that there is punishment. That, you know, that uh, death can be a punishment. Okay. So that was my yeah, and, and, and when you brought that up, that is a wonderful point because we see Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and the consequence for that lying was death. I mean, they died. People talk about being slain by the Spirit. We don't see that in Scripture, but by being killed by the Holy Spirit is or slain in the spirit, but slain by the spirit is a, a, a biblical principle that we see there. John also talks in 1 John chapter 5, he says, there is a sin that leads unto death. And so there can be consequences for our sin that can lead to death. So what does he mean when he says death is not a punishment for Christians? Remember this, he was saying that Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now what? No condemnation. That what he's talking about there is the condemnation um, of that sin that separates us from God. Death is not a punishment from the standpoint that it's going to um, separate believers. The other thing that we have to see is this. Death is a reality for all people. Now, Ananias and Sapphira died because they disobeyed the Holy Spirit. But if they had not, even if they walked in obedience, would they have died eventually? They would have died eventually. And so there's sometimes that our death might be hastened because of our sin, but there's still no condemnation in Christ Jesus for the child of God. And so that's one of those, those kind of, and when you said that, I thought the same thing. I was thinking, yeah, yeah. I, there is no condemnation in Christ 
even though we experience death, but there can be consequences because of our sin that can lead to death. An individual who may be a Christian, who maybe has a weak time in their life and they, they start abusing drugs or something and they die. The consequence of that is going to be their rebellion and their disobedience. But that doesn't separate them from an eternal relationship with God. Even suicide. When you deal with the topic of suicide. I grew up in the Catholic Church. And in the Catholic Church, that was one of the, the mortal sins. If you committed suicide, there was no hope for you for eternity. Um, but we see in the Word of God that that simply is not true, that their believers can take their own life. The Apostle Paul says, What shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? He says, Shall distress. The word there in the Greek for distress is an emotional distraughtness that could bring a person to a... Um, uh, a situation where they can make fatal decisions. I know believers who have taken their life, and I believe that they're secure in Christ. The, the difference is this. They have left this planet with a defeated testimony. And while they are secure in Christ, the one thing that people will always remember is that they didn't fight the good fight. Now, there may be a lot of things that led to that, and that's a, that's a difficult thing. But even in that we can see that it doesn't separate us from that. Now, um, death is not a punishment for Christians. Here's the thing. If a person became a Christian and death was no longer a situation or no longer a part of the curse, then a lot of people would want to be Christians, wouldn't they? Maybe not. They might rather live this life in their own sinfulness, even in that, than rather than giving obedience to Christ. So he points out death is not a punishment for Christians. Here's the second thing. He says death is the final outcome of living in a fallen world. He talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, that the last enemy to be destroyed is going to be that of death. Because we live in a broken and a fallen world, death is a reality. Let me ask you this question. Are believers exempt from pain and suffering in this life? No. No. Should believers be exempt from pain and suffering in this life? <laughs> yeah, we, we, all like, we all vote for that. But the reality is different. Okay, um, what are some common struggles and pain that believers encounter in this life? What are some common struggles and pains that we suffer from? Sickness. Sickness, okay. There's sickness that we have to deal with. What else? Heartbreak. 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 Disappointment. Heartbreak. The experience, the experience of death of others. The sadness that we feel from watching loved ones and people around us die. Yeah, our own sins. Okay, struggling with the own weaknesses of our flesh that can bring the consequences of the brokenness of our lives. Persecution. Persecution, yeah. Anything else? How about just getting older? Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I'll be 63 this year and um, I'm just not recovering as quickly as I used to. <laughs> With, with things. I know y'all don't understand what I'm talking about, but uh, I just am not recovering as quickly. I put pine straw out Saturday, Friday, and Chris came home Saturday night and Sunday morning. I told her, I am such a sissy now. 
I can't even walk. My legs are so sore. And I'm sitting down on that front row in church and just sitting down real easy. It's like, man, I hurt. I've never experienced it. Yeah, I have. But uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, it's not the raking. It was the dodging the cars that was uh, <laughs> the bigger part of that. What are some of the ways that the world seeks to slow down or stop the process of death and aging? Yeah, okay. Now, there's no wrong with working out. Working out is a good thing, um, but it does tone your muscles and it keeps you, you in shape. But Botox. some people... Do. Botox! <laughs> that, 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 that's probably true. Botox? What about all the aging creams and facelifts and all the different pills and the diets and the things like that? Yeah. All of those things are realities because there's something that we want about us that wants to slow down the process. Um, and what the world that without Christ doesn't have hope in is the eternity that we can, we know that we have in Christ. And so if this is all there is to you, then you're going to do everything you can to prolong and preserve your life as long as you can. I mean, I'm thinking about there are people who want to live to 100, 120, 150. I don't. I mean, I love you, babe. But uh, I mean, I, I'm, re I'm ready anytime for the Lord to come back. And, uh, and so, you know, that thought of, I mean, I think about an Old Testament where they lived 963 years. And I'm like, whoa, I'm, I'd have 900 years to go <laughs> if, if I lived according to those Area. So death is a final outcome of living in a falling world. Because we live in a falling world, death happens and we know it. All of the universe is moving towards decay and chaos, not to organization, because the curse of sin has impacted everything. Here's the third thing he says. He said, God uses the experience of death, and I added suffering to complete our sanctification. Now, how is it that God uses the experience of death and suffering to make us more like Christ? What are some of the things that you have found in your reading or in this chapter that death and suffering make us actually more like Jesus? Anybody? Okay. Okay. Right. So all of the suffering that we go through and the difficulties God uses to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus Christ. Um, and regardless of what they are. Now, let, let me ask you this question. How many of you have the tendency to ask God to deliver you from your suffering instead of asking Him to use your suffering to make you like Christ? Which of the two, I would say, are we more in the camp of? The deliverance, aren't we? Most, let's be honest. Most of us would say, I don't want to go through this. 
And God says, this is what I'm going to use to make you like. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, he says, I was glad when you afflicted me because I knew your paths. Now, most of us can't say that. I'm glad that you afflicted me. And um, there are three kinds of sicknesses. Actually, there could be possibly four kinds of sicknesses, but there are three specific kinds of sicknesses that we find in the Bible. One is a sickness that leads unto death. That's not what we were talking about earlier, the sickness. Of, it's just a sickness that, that ultimately leads to the end of your life. There's a natural ending of our life. And so there's that normal kind of sickness or uh, stage that leads us to death. And then there's a sickness because of discipline or chastisement. Sometimes when a child of God is walking in disobedience to God, he will use discipline or chastisement in his or her life to bring them back to a relationship with Christ or to bring them to a place of repentance. And so there is that kind of sickness that is a natural sickness that leads us to death. There's a sickness that can bring about chastisement, disobedience. Some of us have probably felt that. And many times when we find ourselves in there, we are, we are suffering unnecessarily because all we need to do is repent and turn to God and there would be healing. But there's a third kind of sickness and that's the sickness for the glory of God. Remember in John chapter 9, Verses 1 through 3, the disciples encountered this blind man and they asked Jesus this question. They said, who sinned because of his blindness, his parents or him? And what did Jesus say? He said, neither. He said, this is for the glory of God. And so what happens in the midst of that, that sickness was for the glory of God. Now, there's some kinds of times that there's sickness in our life that just is going to lead to the end of our life. Sometimes there's sickness that is because of the chastisement or the discipline that God is bringing. And sometimes there's sickness um, because God is going to be glorified in the midst of that. Um, there are some groups and some individuals that would say that God never desires a believer ever to be sick. And if a person has any kind of sickness or illness, then that is not God's will or God's purpose. Well, if you look at the totality of how God uses suffering in the Scripture, then you would see that isn't true. Remember the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what that thorn in his flesh was. Some say it may have been a physical disability with his eyes because he went blind when the Lord Jesus appeared to him and Ananias prayed over him and scales like fell from his eyes. Some people say it was just kind of a demonic um, um, oppression that he felt or there was some kind of physical ailment. The Apostle Paul prayed three times that the Lord would take that from him and he didn't. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. When you look at Job's life and you look at the difficulties that Job went through and the suffering that he did, and yet God used every bit of that uh, to accomplish His good purpose and His pleasure. So I believe that the, those times where we are sick and it could be for the glory of God, that that's a wonderful testimony for Him. But sometimes there's a sickness that God gets even greater glory than a healing. Let me give you an illustration. 
the person who's sick and they pray and they have great faith and God heals them. I praise God for that. I believe in that. I believe God can do it and I believe He gets the glory for it. But I believe too that dear saint that has walked with the Lord for years and years and years. They have suffered with an illness or some kind of affirmity. They are, are praying faithfully to the Lord, trusting Him, and yet they continue to walk in the midst of that pain. And in the midst of the pain, they continue to grow deeper and deeper in their faith and become a great testimony to the glory of God. Now, of the two, the one that's healed can move right away and go back to the normal things. A person who is walking in deep faith and trusting God but still walking in that is a person that is constantly asking God to receive glory for their life, even in their pain. Each of those, God is glorified. John Piper wrote an article. He had cancer. He wrote an article, and the name of the article um, was entitled... Um, how to glorify God in your cancer. And what he did was he gave 10 steps of how to glorify God in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your difficulties. It's a wonderful, wonderful... Uh, when, when I meet people who have been diagnosed with cancer, one of the things I do is I send them that article. And without fail, it has been a great help for them to seeking to glorify God in the midst of that. So one of the things that we can see is that God wants to use those things. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. Does the modern day church have a good understanding on the doctrine of suffering? No. No. How many, how many say that the modern day church does not have a good understanding on the doctrine of suffering? Okay. Yeah. Why? Okay. Okay. We don't want to talk about it. Why? Why don't we want to talk about suffering? Okay. All right. That is, it may demonstrate some weakness in your own faith, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Say we're often weak on what it means that uh, God is just. We we gravitate towards His love, but we but we emphasize blessing uh, as say an example of His love, but sort of don't want to talk about His justice. Yeah. Okay. Suffering comes, it's, you know, they, they keep it away. They, they don't know how to deal with it. Right, right. Yeah, I think that all of these things are a reality in our culture. When you look at churches around the world that are in totalitarian, under the totalitarian governments, they understand about suffering. They understand about um, uh, persecution. They understand about um, the kind of pain 
that we see even modeled in the early church. When you go and look at the early church, you see the kind of suffering that they went through and the kind of pain and the sacrifice that even in the book of Revelation, it says that you know, they, were, they were glad to die and to give their lives for the cause of the gospel. I think that we live in a world today that's filled with prosperity and not only the prosperity, but even prosperity doctrines that cause us to think that we have the right to live luxurious, safe lives. And we lose the whole... Read the book of First and Second Peter. You will see in First and Second Peter the constant talking about suffering. As a matter of fact, Peter says that Jesus learned obedience from the things that he what? That he suffered. And it was through his suffering that he learned obedience through that. And so we don't like the suffering part. I mean, let's be honest. I don't like it. But here's the thing that I've had to come to is just to be able to say this. Lord, if you get more glory out of my life through suffering, then that's what I want to go through for your glory. If that brings you the greatest glory, then I would rather suffer that you are glorified in that. Um, but we're too often wanting to get away from the suffering because we want to live a life of ease. Now, death and um, suffering is particularly difficult for us. But death and su suffering can particularly be difficult and death can be particularly difficult for believers under certain circumstances. Here's what I think. Sometimes it's hard to understand suffering and death whenever we're dealing with the suffering and the death of a child or the suffering and the death of an innocent person or the suffering and the death of somebody that maybe unnecessarily went through some kind of extreme horrific tragedy or violence. Sometimes we can't, we can't comprehend that. And it just grieves our heart when we get into that. But for us, we need to understand that all of these experiences God uses that He can make us more like Jesus and that He would be glorified in our own lives. So here's the fourth thing he says. Our obedience to God is more important than preserving our own lives. Wow. Our obedience to God is more important than preserving our own lives. He writes this. He says, The world's goal of preserving one's own physical life at all cost is not the highest goal for a Christian. Obedience to God and faithfulness to Him in every circumstance is more important. Here's a big question for you, okay? How has COVID-19 revealed our hearts in this matter of self-preservation? Huh? How has that impacted us in this matter of self-preservation? Okay. It kind of, somebody said crises will always expose what we're made out of. Always does, doesn't it? Now, again, there's a fine line between walking in faith and walking in foolishness. Um, and when COVID-19 first came out, of course, none of us knew what that could possibly mean. But then as we continue to walk through that, and even today, there are people who are still more concerned about the self-preservation of their human life than the obedience to God in serving Him. How have you seen that in our culture? 
Anybody can share. Yeah, and, and that's true. That's true in almost every church. Almost every church without fail, there are people who still haven't returned. Now, some of it may just be that they've gotten out of the habit. They've gotten comfortable. That's right. But they still want to protect themselves at all costs. Anything else? I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or vaccine or booster shot or now I'm not against vaccines or booster shots or anything like that. I, I personally haven't taken any of those because I believe I have, uh, I have the immunity because I've had um, COVID-19. However, you know, those things can become fearful. Here's something that I wrote down some time ago, and I see this to be a reality so often in Christian lives. Here's what I wrote. We spend more time praying dead saints out of heaven. I'm sorry. Let me refresh that. I got that wrong. We spend more time. I sound like Mormon or something. I don't know. Uh, We spend more time praying dying saints out of heaven then we pray for lost people to get to heaven. Think about it. we got a lot of people who are on their deathbeds, and they're, they're getting ready to step into heaven. They're saints of God. And we spend all our time praying that they not go to heaven. But we don't spend any time praying for lost people to get to heaven. And we kind of miss the point of that. Now, obviously, we, we would miss people that we love in that uh, who would go on to be with the Lord. But... I think that sometimes what happens is we get to this state of self-preservation that we think that our physical life and well-being is more important than the obedience of God. John, um, I'm not, no, let me see who was that. Um, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, when there were plagues hitting that area that he was in, people were dying of, I think, the bubonic plague and some other plagues. Martin Luther said to his wife, he said that we have done everything we need to do to take the right therapeutics. We've cautioned ourselves. We've done everything that the, the medical world has told us to do. Now, let's go minister to the dying. And they spent their days involved in ministry and helping people who were dying. And neither his, he or his wife ever contracted any of the diseases. But they've done everything they could, and they moved towards that. John Piper wrote a book called... Um, don't waste your life. It's a wonderful book. We give it to all of our couples who are going or anybody going on a mission field. And he tells an incredible story about two ladies who were in their 80s. Um, One was a widow. The other one was never married. And they were missionaries to this particular country. I forget the name of the country. But they were driving a car one afternoon going to a missionary place when they lost control of the automobile and their car flew over the cliff and both of them were killed instantly. These two single ladies in this foreign country doing missionary work in their 80s. The paper came out and wrote that that was a tragic situation, that that was a tragedy that these two single ladies serving the Lord, losing control, and dying in a foreign country was a tragedy. And then John Piper writes, he says, that wasn't a tragedy. 
in that same paper right below it, it had a story of a couple in their mid-50s who retired early. And they moved to Florida. And in there is talking about their lifestyle and that they spend all their days walking up and down the beach, collecting seashells, and on the weekends playing a co-ed softball together. And they've been doing that for years and look to do that for the rest of their life. John Piper says, that's the tragedy. They said, can you imagine that these two saints who gave their lives all the way to the end, serving Christ, standing before him and the Lord saying, well done, thy good and faithful servants. But these other two standing before him one day and God said, how did you spend your last days? Oh, we collected shells and we played softball. He said, that's the tragedy. And the tragedy of our lives sometimes is that we want to so preserve our comfort, our ease, rather than spending it for the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying go do something foolish. I'm not saying go do something that is absolutely put yourself in harm's way if you don't need to. But just in giving obedience to the Lord and serving Him should be the greatest joy of our life and be willing to spend our lives for His glory in all that we do. Here's the second thing he says, B. He says, how should we think about our own death and the death of others? How should we think about our own death? First, he says our own death. According to Grudem and according to God's Word, what should be the overwhelming emotion when we consider our own death? What's that? Joy. 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 How many of you think that? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's sometimes, I mean, that's foreign to a world, isn't it? That's foreign to this, this country that we live in. I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I have no problem with death. I know where my future is, but I worry about the process of dying. Yeah. We, none of us knows what it's like, do we? It's a little scary. It is a little. It, now, that could, be, that could be, okay, you know, I, I, if you could die any way you, you, you could, what, how, what way would you pick to die? What? Painless, right? What'd you say? In your sleep. Yeah, that'd be a wonderful thing just to wake up in heaven, right? But, you know, you think about all the possible ways of, um, you know, getting hit on 17, picking up pine straw, uh, doing some crazy thing like that. Yeah, I, I just pray the Lord comes back, you know. But, yeah, we don't know what those final moments like. But think about what the Apostle Paul says. He says, this light momentary affliction pales in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is ours. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's talking about that. This, this, this momentary light affliction. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't have any momentary light affliction, but for him it was. And so we don't know what it's like. So it's kind of that, that, that kind of, we don't know how we're going to die. Um, for me, the worst way to die would be drowning. I don't know. I, I just water, me and water. That's why I only take a shower once a week. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Chris would never let that happen. Um, but we see all kinds of things. Psalm 116, 15. It says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. 
precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. So when we think about our own death, I think that um, we don't know, but here's what I do, what I have seen over and over and over. God is so gracious that it seems that in the moment of coming to that point of death, if we're conscious, he gives us an incredible peace. I watched that with my mom. I heard that with my dad. I wasn't there with my dad. And I've been around people who have died, so many people who have died. And there is this unbelievable grace and peace that God gives at that moment. And I've watched people. I've, I have seen people die with fear in their eyes. People that I wasn't sure were believers. And there was just the fear of whatever they were seeing just struck fear in their, their heart and their mind. And that, that was a very um, uncomfortable situation to watch. But then there are people that I've watched with just incredible peace. And I believe that God gives us that in, in those moments. Um, we don't know all about that, and I certainly can't tell you about that. But um, Philippians 1, 21 says, To live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. In the Greek, there are just three words. Live is Christ, die is gain. Six words, three in each one. Um, and so there is that incredible peace that we can have. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen to a believer when they die? <laughs> that would be bad. I guess you could talk to Lazarus about that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I read about this guy that was in, you know, we're going to the Holy Land this year at the end of the year. And this guy was in the Holy Land with his wife and she died of a heart attack there. And, and he was in a dilemma. He said, what do I do? And, and they said, if you ship your wife's body home, it'll cost you $15,000. He said, but we could bury her here and it would just cost you about $2,000. He said, no, I think I'll just ship her home. And they said, well, why? And he said, well, I know that they buried a guy here one time and he rose up from the third day. So, um, so she ain't coming back. <laughs> so um, here's the second thing. The death of Christian friends and relatives. What do we, how should we think about the death of Christian friends and relatives? So when it comes to Christian friends and relatives, it's one way to think about our own. He talks about that we're to have the right views of when we encounter them. What are, what are some of the things we should be able to share with people who lose loved ones? Well, the Bible says mourn with those who mourn. Yeah. 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 Anybody, anything else? Anybody else? It kind of challenges you when you see him die to think, okay, is it really real? But on the other hand, uh, you watched my mother-in-law pass away, and she was in a lot of pain. She was 90. She was a believer. And so it was, it was kind of a joyful time. Yeah. Yeah. She, she wasn't around anymore, 
beyond that, we're going to see her again. Yeah. There's, there's kind of a bittersweet thing when, you, when there's a saint who's suffering and they've lived a long time, or maybe it's not even a long time, but they're suffering and they know the Lord and they just want to be with Him. And then there's that prayer that we pray that God would be merciful and take them quickly. Um, and when He does, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But I, I do agree that sometimes we can be almost, well, it's just a celebration. Let's just celebrate. Yeah, we can. But there's also the re reminder that there's pain. There, there's the loss. There are going to be families who will always have an empty table, an empty seat at the table. There'll be anniversaries where people will be missed. There's celebrations of all those kinds of things. When I do memorial services, I, I remind people that, that when we gather, there are three things that we're there to do. Number one, we're there to give, to give to the family um, encouragement. Um, but secondly, we're to grieve. It's okay to grieve. Jesus wept over his friend Lazarus. Shortest Bible verse is John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And I, I, people, you know, make fun of that. That's a short verse. It is. But it just shows the humanity of Jesus and the love that he had and, and the heartbroken that he had for his own friend Lazarus who passed away. And so we give, we grieve, but we come to get to. And we get we get comfort and truth from God's Word. I think it's really important to be sensitive to the, the person who lost a loved one and you know, be with them where they're at. Hmm. You know, if you're grieving to grieve with them, if they're moved because, you know, they, it's like you're laying with that. So I, that's what I said to my mom, see you later. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing we can be sensitive um, to um, when we know that they're believers. Now, I will tell you this. I mean, I've done plenty of memorial services, funerals. I've done them for believers and I've done them, done them for non-believers. It's always a sweet thing to do a memorial service for a believer because you're celebrating that, but you can grieve and miss them. And, uh, and that is true, to be careful with the family. Here's the other thing. In a memorial service, everybody's there for the family. At the graveside, everybody's there. And everybody goes home. And then people go back to their lives. And those who go to an empty house have to deal with that. The hardest thing for my dad when my mom passed away were the evenings because he was so quiet. And he would call me almost every evening. And I'm just lonely. It's just too quiet. I, 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 I cook way too much food, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And he kept doing it. He'd call me every single night. And then a couple of months later, he called me and he said, I'm just lonely. I, I need a woman. I said, Dad, just get your dog. And he said, no, no, I need a woman. And I said, Dad, just, just trust in the Lord. And then he called me about... I think about four months after mom died, he says, well, I'm dating someone. I said, you are? He says, yeah, we're engaged to be married. I said, did you meet her at mom's funeral? He said, she was there. And, uh, so they, he was married in eight months. And, uh, but let me just say this. This is typical for men. 
men who have had a really good marriage will remarry quickly. Women who have had a really good marriage will take their time. My dad was eight months after my mom died. He's engaged. A woman he's engaged to, her husband died 23 years earlier. And they really, it was a great relationship because you walked in the house. My dad had his, they had a little table. He had a picture of him and mom and all of us. She had a picture of her and her husband and her boys. And right in the middle was a picture of the two of them. And so it was a really cool situation, Miss Anna Lee. And, uh, but then my dad died about eight years after that. So, uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's really hard when you deal with people who are walking through that. Uh, the death of unbelievers. What should be our response when unbelieving friends and family have died without Christ? Sorrow. What's that? Sorrow. 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 Okay. What is something we should never say <laughs> when an unbeliever dies? Yeah. How many of you have heard that? They're in a better place. How, oh, how about this one? Well, they're not suffering anymore. Now, that seems like that could be a comforting thing to say. But we can also mislead people in making comments like that. Because that can lend itself to universalism. Oh, you know, and people will say to me, well, do you think so-and-so, you think my son made it to heaven? And if, if I don't know, then the only thing I can say is, look, the only thing I can tell you is they are in God's hands. And God is just, and he is always just. That's all I can say. Now, here, let me tell you one thing I never do. I never preach anybody into heaven at a funeral, and I never preach anybody into hell at a funeral. Matter of fact, I speak about their life, and then I speak to the living. And I speak to the reality of death and eternity, and that each one of you will face this, but you need to be prepared before you get there. Um, I've had people come to me afterwards and say, mm, do you believe that my child has made it to heaven? And I'll say, well, if your son or your daughter has trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they can be secure in that. Um, I've had a girl come to me and say that uh, my dad was an atheist. What do you believe? Well, I can't tell you where your dad is, but I will tell you what God's Word says about what gives us access into heaven and speak that. Um, then you deal with children um, because there are different positions that people will have when it comes to children. Uh, and that's one of the most difficult things. The most difficult funeral I've ever done was for a five-year-old girl that was in a hospital four years of her life with leukemia. Um, and, it was, and it was difficult, but it was a sweet time. Um, it was just an incredible time to just share the Lord with people. That's, that's tough. Those things are hard. Um, but we do have the opportunity sometimes um, in those difficult situations to share the truth of the gospel in the midst of that. Um, have any of you had situations where people have asked you about where their loved ones are? Yeah. Nursing. As a nurse. Okay. As a nurse. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's great opportunities to be able to speak truth, even though it's a difficult thing. So um, then he gets down to what happens when people die. This is what probably I'll have some questions about. Okay. He says, the soul of believers go immediately into God's presence. Okay. What are some scriptures that support the view that when a person who's in Christ dies, they go immediately into the presence of God? Okay, yeah. 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Apostle Paul says that very clearly. Philippians 1.23 speaks about that. Luke 23... 43, when Jesus is speaking to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay? So there is this sense that we go immediately to the presence, but many people have the wrong assumption. They think that when you die, you automatically go to heaven and you're walking the streets of gold and you've got your mansion, which is also a misnomer because when you look at what Jesus is talking about there in John 14, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. And in an old translation, there are many mansions, but it's talking about a house and there are rooms where we're with the father. Now, many people think that when you die, you automatically go to, to heaven into your rewards um, but we don't see that in Scripture. In fact, when Jesus told the thief on the cross, He said, Today you'll be with me where? In paradise. All right, there is the presence of the Lord. There is great joy. When you look at Luke chapter 16, it tells a story, Jesus tells a story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man goes immediately to Hades and he is suffering. He's in incredible pain. And he's asking for just a drop of water on his tongue. And then Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham. So each of those goes to places that are representative of their final destination. But it still isn't the final destination yet. Uh, because all of that comes after the judgments. And after all of the end of time, then there will be the rewards. And there will be heaven proper, then there will be the rewards of those who will be cast into the lake of fire. There's a commercial on TV. I saw it last night. Chris and I were laughing about it. And, and I use this in one of my sermons. It says, when you die, are you going to heaven or what? Or not. They didn't even say hell. Nobody wants to talk about hell anymore. When you die, are you going to heaven or not? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. They want you to go there, but we don't want to talk about that anymore, huh? Because when those who are in Christ die, they go immediately to the presence of Christ. But those who are without Christ who die go immediately to a place of suffering and torment. And we see that through the pages of Scripture. Gary. Yeah, a few weeks ago, Where did Jesus go? Yeah, three days, right? I would assume he went up with the Father. Apparently he was hanging out at the beach or something. Well, he was there. Uh, remember, one of the things that Jesus did is he uh, appeared to his disciples. 
Uh, he appeared to, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, to over 500 people in a setting. He appeared to James. He appeared to Peter, Cephas, and he also appeared to uh, Paul. And we see that, but that was, that was later. Uh, he also said that there were many people who had come alive from the grave and were walking around in Jerusalem. I mean, that would have been a very exciting time <laughs> being there during that. And so uh, you've got all of these things happening. Now, we do know that, um, that in 1 Peter, it talks about him going to preach to the souls who were in prison during the days of Noah. What does that mean? The scripture doesn't tell us what that means. People have said that it means a number of things. All those people who have died before Christ, he went and preached the gospel to them. That's what some people believe. Many scholars believe, no, Jesus went to the very domain of the demonic forces and proclaimed himself to be king and victorious. Um, so there are a lot of things. Where was Jesus? Well, he told Mary, uh, Magdalene, don't touch me because I haven't ascended yet to the Father. And we know that his ascension was later before he sent the disciples off. So we see him in various places. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. So we don't really know exactly where he was. We do know this, that he was able to walk through walls. We know he was able to eat. He must have been a pretty good cook because he cooked the fish and the breakfast for them while the disciples were out fishing again. Yeah, and he certainly has the ability to come and to go. And now where he was specifically, I don't know. I'll be glad to say that I don't know. What? I'm sorry. Shehol in the Old Testament is just the abode of the dead. And when you see it in the Old Testament, it doesn't make a distinction between um, um, necessarily Hades or heaven. Now, there is specific Hades that speaks about um, uh, hell, which is a place of burning and torment and suffering and things like that. So when we get to this, we see that the Bible teaches us that the... Um, that um, those who um, are unbelievers go immediately to an eternal punishment. We see that. That's all the way down. Just put them all up there. So that way we don't have to deal with all of that. So this is the thing that, that I want us to see. The Bible does not teach the doctrine of purgatory. Nowhere is the doctrine of purgatory. Uh, how many of you grew up in a Catholic church? Okay. We grew up about purgatory. One of the things in purgatory that's been around for a long time, you remember in the dark ages that there were indulgences and the priests were selling indulgences. And to sell an indulgence, you had to give money towards that. And what that money went towards was actually cutting off some years in purgatory. And the concept was you go to purgatory to work off your sins and you work that off through your suffering. And your suffering is actually a gift to God. And you might have to suffer 100,000 years in purgatory. But after the 100,000 years, you get a second chance and you get to go to heaven. Now, the priests were selling the indulgences to cut off some of the 
time in purgatory. And if you gave this amount of money or if you did this, they would say this is 50,000 years off of purgatory. Or this is 25,000 years off of purgatory. If they're really bad, this is 100,000 years off of purgatory. And people were buying into that. And there's absolutely no biblical precedent at all for the concept of purgatory. Actually, it comes from the, uh, the Apocrypha, which is found in the Catholic Bible, which is the book of Maccabees, where all that kind of arises from. Now, here's my question that I want to ask you. What is the most serious problem with the view of purgatory? It nullifies the atonement. Yeah. Completely nullifies the atonement. So I could be without Christ. Hey, I could suffer for 100,000 years if I know I can get out of this and live forever in the presence of God without Christ. So this is one of those lies from the enemy that people think, oh, I can, I can put up with hell for 25,000 years if I can get out of this. And that's just simply one of those lies that the Bible never teaches. The Bible does not teach the doctrine of soul sleep. Soul sleep, uh, it was a thought that when you die, you're unconscious. And you're unconscious until either the Lord comes back and restores all things and you receive your resurrected body. So there's no such thing as the Bible speaking of soul sleep. Um, there's always a, the, the phrase that's used that, you know, they've fallen asleep. That is a, just a metaphor for death. Remember when Lazarus said he fell asleep? And they said, well, let's go wake him up. And then Jesus has to find a straight number. He's dead, guys. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. He's dead. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was getting ready to say that, too. Um, I'm not sure about that. But there's another view, too, that has, uh, has surfaced in the last several decades, and that's annihilationism. James, tell us what that is. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's this thought that uh, you just cease to exist. So God's too loving of a God. He would not allow people to suffer for all of eternity. So they will just cease to exist. Now, that sounds like a comforting thing, um, <clears throat> but it removes that the seriousness and the penalty of rebelling and um, not surrendering your life to Christ. He asked questions. Should we pray for the dead? Should we pray for the dead? No. I hear people all the time, well, we'll, we'll pray for them. Well, it's a little late now, you know, unless you believe in purgatory. So it's a little late for that. Um, okay. Then we deal with um, glorification. He says, glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with, the soul, with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive, thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. That's one sentence. That's a lot. Okay, he says two things, biblical evidence for um, glorification. 
We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can read the entire chapter of that. It's incredible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. Those who are alive will instantly receive new bodies, and those who have died will be reunited with their bodies in the air when Jesus returns. So that's, that's a, uh, an incredible truth that we will receive new bodies. Now, if the Lord Jesus comes back and those of us who are still alive instantaneously will receive a resurrected body and will meet Him in the air, those who come back with Him, the ground, the sea, the oceans will give up these bodies, meet them in the air, and there will be resurrected bodies that will happen. Every time I do a memorial service, I ask the people, did you, if this person's a believer, did you buy this plot or did you rent it? Because if they're a child of God, when he, Jesus comes back, well, yeah, you're wasting your money. They're not going to be in there. So somebody asked a question about cremation. What was your... Okay. So how can burn the body if one comes up? Right. People have, many Christians have asked a question about cremation, particularly in these days. Now, the tradition of the Christian church was to bury. Um, pagan cultures cremated uh, the bodies of the dead. But if you look at the early Christian church, there was a typical burying of bodies. You go to the catacombs and you'll see that the bodies were placed in there. A lot of that did have to do with the concept of the resurrection um, and we want to bury them. However, the Bible never says anything um, against or for cremation. Now, we do know this, that countless Christians were burned alive at the stakes throughout the years that the, many have died in fires. Uh, many of them, their, their bodies have been lost to the ocean and have been spread about. And so some thoughts were that if you cremate people, then the ashes are spread about, and then how is God going to resurrect a body? God is completely capable of resurrecting a body regardless of what the state is. He created everything out of nothing, he can resurrect a human body and give us a new body. I believe that when it comes to cremation, it's just simply a personal conviction that a person may have. Um, today, more people are being cremated, not so much for conviction as much as financial convenience because it's not as expensive to bury a body. Um, so I think it's just a matter of personal conviction with the confidence that God can uh, gather any remains from anywhere at any time to accomplish what he wants. Emery. Well, you know, the Bible says that, you know, of dust you were taken and of dust you shall return. Yeah. Dust is dust. You know, the way I look at that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really matter. And the thing is, you know, I don't want this body when I go. <laughs> I want to make sure I get the new one. We're going to talk about that next. we got to hurry up, though. Yeah. Except man. Man was something made from a thing made. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So it's a it's an issue of conviction. We don't see that 
any prohibitions in Scripture against that? And I think that's a good question that many people will ask over the years and have done that. Now, what would our resurrected bodies look like? Okay, so what we've just heard, hopefully not like Emery's. So, um, <laughs> so um, <clears throat> got several things that he writes here. He says, number one, they're going to be imperishable. Okay, that means they're not going to be due to corruption or decay. They're not going to wear out. They're going to be perfect. Secondly, they're going to be glorious. Remember what he said that word glorious means? What? They're going to be beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, you won't need any Botox with a resurrected body, right? So you're talking about beautiful, good-looking bodies the third thing he says they're going to be is they're going to be powerful. He said not, not like a superhuman type mentality that we have, but they're going to be able to have the power to do the things that God created us to do. And the last thing he says they're going to be spiritually perfect. Remember he says we're going to have spiritual bodies. does not mean they're not going to be physical. What kind of body did Jesus have? He had a resurrected body. He walked through walls. People were able to touch him, handle him. He was able to eat. He was able to do all of those things. Now, some people say, okay, are there going to be babies in heaven? What about the children who were aborted? What about the children who died before the age of accountability? What about, are there going to be little children running around heaven? Are there going to be babies in heaven? Are there going to be older people in heaven? So if we're going to have imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritually perfect bodies, what are they going to look like? You know, have you thought anything about that? You look in Revelation to see what God, Jesus' body looked like. Okay. His hair was white. Oh, I don't think I want white hair, so that's okay. Um, he, uh, what else did it say? Um, his feet were as bronze and his eyes were... Yeah, they were fire when you look at the book of Revelation. Yeah. Now, remember, that's a metaphor. So that's a picture uh, that John is painting there. But some, many scholars believe that we'll all be 33 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, how do you feel about that? I don't know what my 33 looks like yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they say that because Jesus was 33. So even, even children who have died will, will have, we don't know what it's going to be like. But I mean, I can't imagine eternity being a good thing to be an infant for all of eternity. I just don't think that would be. So I do think this, whatever it's going to be, it'll be far greater than anything we can ever imagine. And that we can rest assured that... Um, that the perfect bodies that we have will be those that have been clearly um, orchestrated by the Father. Yes, Pam. Are we going to know as spouses in our families? The Scripture says we will know as we are known. And so I do believe that. Now, we won't be married in heaven. Okay, um, We'll be brothers and sisters. Uh, my mom and dad, I believe, are there and I'll see them. They won't be my mom and dad in heaven. They'll be my brother and sister in Christ. But I do believe we'll know. The other question is, people ask is, 
What about the people who are not there that we loved? What about loved ones, siblings, parents, children, maybe even spouses that, that did not make it to heaven? Will we know that? Well, the scripture says there'll be no weeping. There'll be no crying. There'll be no sadness. So some scholars believe that we will know each other, but God will remove the memories of those that are not there from us. So that way there will be no pain, no struggle, no heartache, no wondering for all of eternity what they're going through. Um, I don't know. I can't answer that personally, but I do, I do believe that something like that is going to happen. Yes, hi. What's that? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think there would be demons in heaven. So, uh, <laughs> for you cat lovers, I'm just mostly kidding. Okay, Vic. Should we look at it so that we'll know what Adam and Eve's bodies were like? Because before the fall. I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah, I don't know. But they had perfect bodies before the fall. They didn't have resurrected bodies, though. That's why I said perfect. Yeah. The spiritual bodies. It was the spiritual body was the same as the body that they had before the fall. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But I don't think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there, there's maybe they lost the, the glory, and so their bodies actually indeed did change, and they felt the need to cover it up. I, I don't know. That's just speculation. Yeah. Yeah. It is speculation. Yeah. Just something to consider. Yeah. We do know this, that all of the rest of creation was physical. I mean, there were physical trees, physical animals, physical things like that. And so because of the physical nature of creation... Um, it would just be right that Adam and Eve would have that same as well as the, the rest of creation. Um, and creation was flawless too at that point too. Um, and it was sin that brought it all into this place of corruption and just downplaying. Now here's the thing. None of us knows. We're on this side of death. We're talking about it. We're looking forward to being with the Lord. And we know that death is that doorway for the child of God. And so as we walk through this and as we think through this, it's a wonderful thing to think through. Wow, I can't wait. Now, my big question that I ask people all the time is this. Why do you want to go to heaven? So many people say, I can't wait to get to heaven. Why? Well, I don't have to work anymore. I can't wait to get to heaven. I won't suffer anymore. 
I won't hurt anymore. I won't have to put up with the brokenness of humanity. My question is always this. If Jesus were not in heaven, would you want to go? No. That's why I want to go. I want to, I want to see my Heavenly Father. I want to be with Jesus. I want to see the Holy Spirit. I want to be with God. And the eternity is just a benefit of being in the presence of God. And so for me, when I think about heaven, I think about, wow, Father, I just can't wait to be with you. I just can't wait to be in your presence without all of this brokenness and things that we have to walk through. So when you think about heaven, don't ever let it be apart from being in the presence of God because that is what makes heaven heaven. It's in the presence of God. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We looked at a lot tonight, thought a lot about things that we really don't even know yet. This side of heaven. But Father, we know that your word is true and we can trust it. And Father, I pray that with great joy and anticipation, we look to obeying you above all things and looking to being with you for all of eternity. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that this teaching has enriched your understanding of God. If you found this teaching to be helpful, share it with your friends and family on social media and tag us at Scott's Hill. Till next time.